because we had a grandbaby being born and uh, it was very important to, to be there and be there on time. Uh, he, he remembered that, of course. <clears throat> I reminded him that I had some time left over from the last message. <laughs> he got really quiet. I told him I would feel free today to uh, tack that on if necessary. We'll see. Let's take a minute and uh, pray together, and then Colossians chapter 2 is our text. Uh, your pastor, Brother Chad, has been preaching through the book of Colossians, and what a, what a rich, full passage uh, we have for us today. And so let me lead us in prayer, and then we'll look there at, at Colossians chapter 2, all right? Father God, you are the eternal one, and it is your word that speaks truth and speaks life and silences the shouts of the world. So we pray this morning that you would quiet within us every voice except your own. That you would speak to us. Speak to us in the midst of suffering and in the presence of joy. May your Holy Spirit reveal himself to us through worship, music, prayer, the giving of offerings, serving you, meeting and greeting other people, reading the word of God, proclaiming the truth of the scripture. And may all of the of the suffering and the death and the power and the resurrection of Jesus be present for us through the Holy Spirit that we might live by your grace and show the light of Christ to the world that is around us. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the church at, at Colossae was like many churches there in the the New Testament era. This would have been, it, it, by our calendar, this would have been in a time frame of about, uh, about the 50s A.D., somewhere between the 40s and the 60s. Paul is, is, is traveling around. He's planting churches. He's sharing the gospel. He is teaching, training. And when he writes letters, frequently when he's writing letters, he's writing to correct some form of theology, some place where they got off track, where they got off in the weeds, if you will. He's trying to help a new congregation to understand truth in, in all, of its, all of its glory. And at Colossae, they, they had some difficulties. They had some problems. And as is typical, as happens many, many times in churches, there were, there were two groups that were, seemed to be causing problems. One group was the, was the old traditional kind of uh, legalists called the Judaizers. These were the, these were the Jews who had come into Christianity. They believed that Jesus was indeed the promised Messiah from the Old Testament, but they carried with them, uh, not just, not just a little bag of baggage, but a, but a freight train of baggage behind them. 
And that is all of the law of the Old Testament. And what they wanted to do was to say, you have to meet and fulfill all of the rules and the guidelines from the Old Testament. If you're going to be a Christian, that's great, but, but you've got to do this as well. And so instead of following after Jesus and letting him be the center of things, what they did is they followed after the Old Testament and tried to add Jesus on to that. Paul says repeatedly, and certainly in Colossae, he says, that's not real. That's not right. Then there was another group, and in this group we might call them the fullness fanatics, if you will. They had the idea, this, the first one was, was mainly Hebrew, this one is primarily Greek in its origin, and that is the idea is that there's something wrong with our body physically. And if you want to please God, if you really want to know God, if you really want to connect with God, you're going to have to deal with your body, and so it's going to talk later about what you eat and what you touch and so on and so forth. And, and this is very Greek idea and Paul talks about that and he says now that's crazy and it got so far off into the weeds it got so far off the track that they began to say that when you saw Jesus it wasn't really Jesus it just looked like Jesus because the fullness of God the pleroma of God all of that kind of uh, who God really is it could never be captured in human flesh and of course Paul having met the Savior understood that that is not what really happened and so he's trying to correct them now if you if you if you do the first about 13 14 verses there in chapter 2 your pastors covered those and there's a great deal of of deep sharp strong theological truth but Paul goes past that and he says he says it's not enough to kind of write a systematic theology it's not enough to to know the right things and to and to think the right things you have to also do the right things in other words our theology our thinking our truth must become practical and we must live it out and this is a giant problem for the American church in the 21st century because we have churches that are filled with people who think the right things more or less, but don't do them. And Paul says, that's a problem. Now, verse 6, he talks about how we have received Christ so we should walk in him. You see, the, you see the connection there? There's that sense where we, of what we know, what we think, what we believe, but there is that practical aspect as well, how we walk in him. He, he's, he gives the warning in verse 8, don't be captivated by philosophy and empty deceit. Don't be captured by uh, human traditions. And then in verse 9, there's, we could just do this whole long thing on the fullness of the deity of Christ. Great theological concepts, but he's not, he, he's not satisfied to leave it there. Over and over you see Paul do this when he writes these epistles. He talks about the theology and then he talks about the, the practical movement where, where we have to get into uh, the daily life of Christ. Now, verse 11 through 14 uh, deals with circumcision and all of that. And this is, this is kind, of a, a, kind of one term to capture all of this problem with the, the Judaizers. Now, unless you think that this is just an old, old problem and why are we worried about that anymore, this is happening again today. I, I was serving at a church uh, just a couple of years ago, and there was a, a gentleman about my age. Uh, he 
he had been recently ordained as a deacon, active in service and in ministry. And I, when I first met him, I thought he had been a Jew who had been converted to Christ. And, and part of the reason was he, he would wear a little yarmulke. And, uh, of course, he had a bald spot. Mine's a little bigger than his. But uh, uh, they don't make a hat that big. But he, he was a great guy. I loved talking to him. It was clear we had some, some differences in our theology, uh, but, but it was clear about his love for Jesus. And I had been doing a, a series and a section on the Sermon on the Mount where I was talking about how Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and how Jesus has completed all of the law. And he, man, right after bang, came right up to me and started asking questions. And, and very quickly, he got to the Old Testament dietary laws. And he said, so which one of those do you think we don't have to follow? I said, well, none of them. We don't have to follow any of them. I, I, th this kind of part shock, part respect, part you must be a crazy man kind of look going all over his face all at the same time. And I said to him, so which ones do you think we do have to follow? And he said, all of them. This is not a 2,000 years ago problem, church. This is happening today. But it's not the only problem. It's not just the, the Judaizers. It's not just the circumcision problem in 11 through 14. It's the principalities and power problem. In verse 15, I, I, I asked Pastor if he would let me kind of have that verse to spend a little time on. I, we're going to look at some really good things there, all right? This is, this is the part of the fullness fanatics. This is where, where people want to take one thing and make it so much more important than anything else. Can I just help you here? There's only one thing that's more important than anything else in the gospel. Jesus. If it's anything else, if, if it's anything else, I don't care what it is, it's wrong. You got it? Wouldn't it be great if that would just put an end to it and we'd be done, we'd just go home right now? We'd, we'd get to lunch early, we'd beat the crowd, the whole bit. But here's the problem. Preachers have been telling you this for a long time, right? I'm not the first one that's ever said that, surely. But you experience it and I experience it. We get off in the weeds and periodically we've got to tend the garden a little bit. We've got we to we stop, think, get rid of some things. So we're going to review that for a moment. Then in verse 16 and 17, there's going to be this eating and drinking festivals, those kinds of things. Church traditions. Church traditions. Aren't you glad we are rid of church traditions today and we don't have to worry about ever having any conflict or hang-ups or problems about church traditions? Most of the time when churches, we have 71 churches in our association about a third of them are splits from other churches that were originally in our association. And, and it's kind of interesting to see the younger churches and the younger pastors. And, you know, we, we, don't, we don't have any of that stuff with tradition. Except after they've been doing it for 20 years, now they have a tradition and somebody is rejecting that tradition. It is why we must regularly tend the garden and pull the weeds to see where our theology has gotten off track.
Worship of angels and, uh, and humility. The, the, I, lo- I love this one. I, we won't get to spend a lot of time on it. But uh, d- isn't it just such a blessing for people who are so filled with pride that they're humble? I got to tell you, that causes preachers about as much trouble as anything else in church. Uh, we, we have a situation right now in one of our churches where, where, and it's a lady, and she is so humble. But she is causing so much strife and trouble because of her humble pride or her prideful humility. Not really sure which way to say that, but you get the idea either way, right? It's a problem. The problem is not her humility. The problem is her pride. If she were truly humble, there would not be a problem. Because she's the one causing the problem. And then, uh, as we get down to the very end of the chapter, verse 19, verse 20 through, through 23, sections on the neglect of the body, don't taste, don't touch, so on and so forth. So, so before we dig in a little deeper, <clears throat> here are some things that happen. When we have heresy, when we get off the track, when we, when we get in a ditch, when we get off in the weeds, it is because, because we either have too little or too much. Right? We either have the gospel and we want to kind of take away from it and we water it down and it, and it gets to be just too little of the gospel. I just want a little, little bit of the gospel or we want too much of it so we either take away from or we add to the gospel. That was happening in Colossae. It, it, it happens today and, it, and Paul is teaching us here that living by grace is a radical deployment of the gospel in your life. Now think about that for just a minute. Living by grace is a radical deployment of the gospel in your life. It's not enough to believe it, you have to deploy it. It's not enough to think it, you have to do it. It's it's not enough to be conscious of it, you have to engage with it. It is a radical deployment of the gospel in your life. You want to know why why people are ignoring the church? Because we gather in our holy huddles and we think it and we don't walk out the door and do it. And the reaction of of the world is, so what? If it doesn't change your life, then they have no expectation that it will change their own life. Okay, so let's start first at around uh, verse 15 uh, in Colossians 2. And uh, we want to look at, at uh, now I've got the NIV. Well, hang on just a minute. Let me, I know Chad uses ESV. Give me a second here. Okay. Um, <clears throat> okay. So verse, uh, well, I'll start at 13. And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, and God made us alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with all its legal demands. And this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. There's about three sermons in there, by the way, just, just so you know. 
Just, just to be clear, right? But here's the part that I really like. Verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Now, one of the things in, in, a, in the internet era as a pastor, as a preacher, uh, as a teacher, you have to be really careful about using other people's materials. Right? Now, my stuff, I, I tell people this. I probably got it from somebody else, so if you can use it, go right ahead. I don't need a footnote. I don't need a disclaimer. All right? But when I use somebody else's material, I, 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 try, to, I try to talk about it. So one of my my professors from seminaries preaching on this passage he's in verse 15 and he does the whole sermon series there and it is that that jesus is in triumph over the powers of darkness he disarms them he disgraces them and he displays them well, i don't know what to do after that i mean there's the whole thing right there right how do you change that outline it, it says he disarms them he takes away their weapons now, you don't have to be a fanatic about the Holy Spirit to say that Jesus has given believers power over the principalities and powers of darkness. That he has given you, as a child of God, authority over the evil one. He disarms them. He takes away their weapons. Stop living as if you are in control of something or someone else. You are only under the control of the Holy Spirit, not of the enemy. He disarms them. He says he, he, he set aside uh, all of these things, this legal demand, he sets aside by nailing it to the cross. And it gives the idea uh, that he is parading them. He takes away their weapons, he humiliates them, and he puts them on display. Now, everybody loves a parade, right? Everybody loves a parade. In fact, it was back in the 30s that there was a uh, 30s, 40s. There was a movie uh, about, but probably based on "I Love a Parade." Parades are wonderful. We have lots of parades in Louisiana. We have more parades than you can possibly imagine around Mardi Gras. And it's it's curious to me how many people understand Mardi Gras but don't have any idea that they do that because Lent starts the next day and they're supposed to give something up. Well, so they're giving up all the candy that they collected on Mardi Gras. The kids love it, though. The kids, everybody has a float, everybody has a parade, on and on and on. Well, we had a parade recently in the greater Houston area, didn't we? Because the Astros won the World Series. We had a parade. Now, it was, you know, it was a little bit of a leftover from a, uh, had some stuff left over from the hurricane. I, I, wasn't it just a year before, two years before, that Chicago Cubs had won the, the parade? Okay, I see a, a couple of Cubs fans. Yeah. God bless you. You're long-suffering. It was their first uh, trip to the World Series, first win in, in you know, a long, long time. Five million people at the parade in Chicago. Five million people. It was the seventh largest gathering of humanity in the history of the world, if they can tell. <laughs> Five million people in Chicago, largest ever in the United States. The huge parade. Our president is talking about having a military parade. Now, I, I have found that there are people in church who like President Trump. I've also found that there are people in church who don't like President Trump. 
And my conviction is you probably fall in one of those two categories. Nobody just kind of shrugs their shoulders about him. Right? But he wants to have a parade. He wants to have a military parade. I guess he has seen North Korea's parade and thinking about their parade. And he thinks, well, we'll have a bigger parade. Maybe he's looked at, at some of the parades in Russia, the big military parades. We'll have a, we'll have a better parade. It'll be, it'll be huge. Right? Well, in the, in the first century, they knew how to do military parades right they would have all of the soldiers in the gleaming armor and they would have singing and dancing and bands and now the the dancing is how we know that they weren't baptists in the first century because they would yeah. and at somewhere in the parade one of the things they would do is they would have all of the enemy combatants chained together shuffling along leg irons and 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 chains on their wrists, shuffling along in the parade, and they would, they would jeer and laugh, they would spit on them, they would throw things at them, the original food fight. They would humiliate them. They would disgrace them to show that they had conquered them. That's the imagery that's here. In other words, when Jesus does battle... With the soldiers of darkness, the battle is not close. Now, is that how you experience it in your life? Probably not most of the time, right? I mean, I'm tempted. I resist. And I think, ooh, I just, I just barely got away on that one. It's a close call. A few years ago in the Olympics, Michael Phelps is in the butterfly. And he wins by one hundredth of a second. Saw a picture of uh, speed skaters. I don't know who their names or where they're from. It's a picture of them, photo finish. And on the speed skating, it's not when your body crosses. It's when the, it's when the skate crosses. And they, they both got their skate tucked out like this. I'm telling you, it looked identical. Somebody blew that thing up big enough to where they could find one pixel difference or something to declare a winner. There's a NASCAR race. I'm not a big NASCAR guy, but there's a NASCAR race 500 miles last year, 500 miles. Tyler Riddick uh, wins by 0.000 seconds. <laughs> They show the, the 500 miles now they've gone and they show the photo finish and it's like the, 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 on the one on the top of the picture, the paint on the bumper is thicker than the paint on this guy's bumper and he wins. I mean, you look at the picture and he wins, but when the clocks do it, 0.000 seconds difference. We know about close calls, right? The battle of light and darkness, the battle between good and evil, the battle between Jesus and the enemy is not a close call. Stop thinking it is. Stop acting like the enemy has power and authority in your life. I can't do that. I can't forgive them. I can't love them. Oh, that's just so hard for me to do this for Jesus. Stop it. Stop it. Live in the power of the Spirit of God. Why? Because Jesus has disarmed and displayed and disgraced the enemy who no longer has any power or authority in your life. 
And he's done it so that you may have the power of the Holy Spirit in yours. Now, I don't know what problem you're dealing with today. Some of you are dealing with problems that I don't have any problem with. Your problems are different than mine. And you might look at my problems, I might look at your problems, or we might, you know, kind of swap around here and, and just say, well, why is that a problem for you? It's not a problem for me. But this other, that something I'm d- dealing with, struggling with, trouble with, well, that's not a problem for you. Listen, our battle is not against flesh and blood, even our own. Our battle is against principalities and powers and darkness, right? Isn't that what the scripture says? And Jesus has triumphed over all of it by the power of the Holy Spirit. He has nailed it to the cross and he has given you his power for living. Now, I'd love to just kind of keep hanging around there for a little bit, but uh, probably ought to keep going and uh, see if we can get something toward the end of the passage. So let me just read the rest of the passage there for you. Start at verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why As if you were still alive to the world, do you submit to the regulations? Don't touch, don't handle, don't taste, or don't handle, don't taste, don't touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion. And asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Now, now just let me see if I can wrap all of this together for you, right? Paul is talking about how all of us need course correction on a regular basis. You need it, I need it. We need to constantly be coming back to the true north of the scripture so that we don't add to it or take away from it. One of the, one of the tendencies in the church is to become too spiritual. You say, well, now hang on, Bruce, how do you become too spiritual? Well, if you're more spiritual than Jesus, you got a problem. Right? If you're more spiritual than the Holy Spirit, you've you got a problem. Did you hear what it said? It talks about how people give the appearance of wisdom by promoting self-made religious practices. We can do that in a good church. We can do that in a bad church. We can do that in no church. 
We must constantly come back to the gospel where we look together, where we are accountable together as a body, where we fellowship together, where we live in community, where we encourage one another, where we sometimes chastise one another. But when we find ourselves primarily doing one thing, it ought to remind us that that's a problem. Because we need to be the whole body knit together, connected to the one head that is Jesus. Paul says, churches get off in a ditch. They get off in the weeds. They, they don't tend their garden in their individual lives and in their church lives. I could tell you, I could tell you some frustrating and difficult stories of churches whose garden is so overgrown that the weeds have choked out the life of the congregation and they're dying. Paul's reminder to the church at Colossae, Paul's instruction to us today is to take the gospel and live it in such a way, live it in such a transforming, life-changing way that it cannot be ignored and it cannot be misunderstood. We don't please God by what we taste and what we don't taste. See, now Baptists, by and large, they, they, don't, they don't like this passage because they want to be able to say about certain, you know, some of you don't, don't like this, about alcohol. And if you drink alcohol, that means you're the devil. And if you don't drink alcohol, it means you're not. The gospel is so much bigger than that. Do this. Should we dress this way? Should we go to this church? Is it okay to eat these foods? See, that's a, that's a new thing again. And, and it's coming about because of, of people who, who started with a desire to love Jesus more. But they got off in a ditch. They got off in the weeds. And so whatever it is, whatever it is, if it's food, if it's drink, if it's, if it's music. Now see, you, you thought I was too wise to even say anything about that, didn't you? About there ever being in the church, controversy about music. Or controversy about where, you know, whether or not the pastor wears a suit. Or how long the service is. Or what order of service we have. See, all of those things... We, we start with the idea that we want to love Jesus, we want to pre please Jesus, and we want to do it right. But when we start thinking that the way we do it is more important than the one we do it for, then we are off in the weeds. And we need to do a little gardening. We need to do a little tending to things. Because Paul is telling us how to avoid legalism. Over and over, he says it. Verse 18, let no one disqualify you. Verse 17, these are the shadow of the true substance. He says, don't, don't worry about these things. Verse 19, these are the things that, that you worry about when you're disconnected from the head. I don't know what we need to be as a church. But I can tell you one thing we need to make sure we're not, and that is we're not disconnected from Jesus. Not much point in having church if we're disconnected from Jesus, right? I mean, there's some fun things you can do on Sunday morning and throughout the week. 
Some of you like to play golf. Some of you like to go fishing. It's only because you're connected to Jesus that you make time in your schedule and you make worship and Bible study and fellowship and community a priority because you love Jesus. So if you're disconnected from Jesus, you, it's a real problem. Over and over and over again in this passage and in others, Paul is pointing out to us these things that are on the fringes and saying that's not the most important part. Even if it's right, it's not the most important part. Stay connected to the head. It may appear wise, but it is promoting a self-made religion. So, here's my challenge to you for today. See if you've got any weeds you need to pull. Do a little gardening. Check things out. Where have you gotten off track? Where have you gotten in the weeds, so to speak? Tend your garden well under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And really, don't worry about other people's gardens. Holy Spirit knows how to take care of those. You take care of yours. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, uh, thank you for uh, speaking to us today. And thank you for grace that we experience as we realize that the gospel for us is a journey that we do not move into righteousness and and remain there that it is a, a process of killing the flesh day by day until that one day when you will call us all together call us home and we will be made instantly like you and death will die and, and all that has held us back will be gone Lord make this gospel real in our life in a compelling way we pray through Jesus our Savior Amen. Amen.